Good morning. It's great to be here and so many amazing things God does. And I'll be sharing some, and we've already heard quite a few today. And I'm looking forward to preaching from 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. And what we learn, if we don't learn anything else, is God ordains his own means, and he does things the way he says he will do them. And we can't tell God how he runs his own universe. And I'll be sharing a story about that as we go along here about what happened in my life exactly 50 years ago today. Exactly. But first, let me read the text as we're still on this beginning screen. We're in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, that you have chosen and revealed your means to save lost sinners by your grace and your power. And may we understand what you've said, what you've commanded, what you've promised, and give thanks and praise to you for what you've done for those who trust in you by your grace. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we look at verse 22, there's something that really stands out. It says, for Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Now, as we look at Acts and we look at what all's happened already in 1 Corinthians, and I look all this up in the Greek and I look for the best translation I can find. And in this context, the word demand, it really is appropriate. And let me give you a couple of cross references if you want to jot them down. In Acts 3.14, here is preaching by Peter. He said, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked, same word in the Greek, but in this context demanded for a murderer to be granted to you. So in that context, it means demand. Then in Acts 9-2, this one's amazing because it's about Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. Acts 9-2. Let me read that to you. And... Saul asked, same word in the Greek, for him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, literally, ahadas, the road, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here we have this very zealous, pious, highly motivated Jewish teacher, Saul of Tarsus, trained in her Gamaliel, and he was full of rage, full of hatred, intent on destroying Christians. And we know what happened if you've read the Bible. By the end of Acts 9, this Saul was confronted 
by the resurrected Christ and converted through a process. It's so instantaneous thing, but in his case, he was blinded and so on. You can read that in Acts 9. And the one who demanded that he be able to attack Christians is the one God saved. How many of you know God doesn't ask our permission about how he does things, but he does reveal what he has done and what he will do. And God is supernatural and powerful. I'm so thankful for the Sunday school this morning. Really, all I have to do is show up, same with Eric, and somehow we end up on the same topic without planning it together. And so the Sunday school, if you're there, is just a perfect segue into what we're going to learn today. Now, here, Greeks, Hellenine in the Greek, uh, Hellenus, but in the next verse or two, they're called ethnos, Gentiles, and anthropos, humans. And so this means all the people who aren't Jews. Now, if remember earlier when I was pointing out what we're going to learn in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, give no, agree, no um, affront to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. So those are the categories, Jews, Greeks, and those who are saved, which is the church of God. So let me make a statement about this. Jews and Gentiles have their ideas about what God must do and what they want. Ironically, God calls his apostles to preach a crucified Messiah that no one was demanding or seeking. So I think back some of the things that people were teaching at seminary saying, well, we have to eventually, some said, we have to change the message because people don't like to hear what we're teaching if we teach in the Bible. And so this whole seeker movement came to be. And so we do surveys of what people want and compile the surveys and find out what it is and put it all together and come up with something people will listen to. And then that's what we're going to do. And it was just amazing. How could you even suggest such a thing when it's so obvious? If you give people what they want, they'll never be saved. They'll never be rescued. Their sins will never be forgiven. As Eric was talking about in Sunday school, they keep going along, storing up wrath. And the word for that means also accruing interest or They'll just think, this is all I need. All paths lead to God. That's what people want to hear. I remember when I was so sick, I couldn't really leave the house. And I mentioned this in another uh, setting, or probably in a sermon. The doorbell rang. I went to the door, and a couple were doing a survey to find out what people in St. Louis Park would want to hear if they were going to go to church. And they are going to start a new one. And so they were talking, and I said, I got one question for you. Are you going to preach the gospel when you start this new church? And they were stunned. Will it be preached? They didn't answer. And finally, the wife looked to her husband. What's the answer? He said, no, we won't preach the gospel. I don't know if anybody ever asked that. 
And it was really sad. So here's the question. If we're not going to tell people how God rescues dead sinners, we're not going to tell them what Christ commanded be preached in his name, if we're not going to tell them they're lost and they're facing the wrath of God, we're not going to tell them they need to be saved, we're not going to tell them that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. We're not going to tell anybody anything they don't want to hear. So what are you going to do with this verse? In the next one, figure out what everybody wants. Well, everybody doesn't want the same thing. But the one thing they all do not want is a crucified Jewish Messiah. The amazing irony is that God has commanded us to preach what we know up front no one wants. Why? Because our faith doesn't stand in the beliefs, the wisdom, the desires of man and women, all the all of humanity alienated from God. It stands on the work of God through the cross. And we won't preach that unless we want God to work through what he promised he would work through, which is the gospel. Another thing I want to do is make sure we don't go to some sort of a anti-scholastic, uh, how would you say it, just the idea that scholarship is all evil and liberal. It's not true. Some scholars actually believe the Bible. We're looking for the truth, and so I want to give honor to whom honors do. When I was confused, when I believed wrongly, when I wasn't sure what was the right thing to do, and a lot of the false teaching I'd heard had been through misuse of 1 Corinthians. And in 1986, I, I got a commentary on 1 Corinthians from Dr. Gordon Fee, and he explained it. And what was ironic, I was taking literally at one point, and what was literal, I was taking ironically, and getting it backwards. The truth is the truth, and we need to learn it. Dr. Fee says, thus the Jews and Greeks here illustrate, says Fee, the basic idolatries of humanity. God must function as the all-powerful or all-wise, but always in terms of our best interest, power in our behalf, wisdom like ours. For both of these, the ultimate idolatry is that of insult, insisting that God conform to our own prior views as to how the God who makes sense ought to do things, unquote. Let me ask you a question. Do you want the true God who's proven his own existence by doing powerful works, the ultimate one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Son, who's revealed himself and has spoken and has spoken powerfully and meaningfully and understandable words, or do you want a God who does things your way so you feel better? Think about another thing. Do you want to feel better, or do you want to be rescued? Do you know you need to be rescued? I didn't. Exactly 50 years ago today. And uh, I'll get to that in a moment.
I didn't believe that Christianity had anything to offer anybody. I was sick of it. And I was really, really angry because my fiance had gotten religion. And that really put me over the top. Well, I guess I can tell my story now. And uh, I was working midnight shift, Sheldon, Iowa, feed plant, and we had an odd shift. So the last day I'd work was, I believe, early Friday morning. And I knew that she was at this retreat where these fundamentalist Christians were. And I was so angry. I was telling the, my coworkers, this is horrible. This is awful. This is the end. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm not going to have any of this. No, I'm not Saul of Tarsus, but I wasn't any better than he was in his lost state. And I was, I was, had it, I had it, I had it. And the other day I was thinking, I'm supposed to preach on July 18th. I think it was July 18th where God apprehended me in my sinful rebellion. And so the other day I went on the internet and looked up July 18th, 1971, and it said it was a Sunday. I asked Diane, was that a Sunday? It was. So that was the right day. So I had a couple days to think about how angry I was and decided I'm done with this. I'm not going along with it. And I'm going to call off the engagement. I'm going to get rid of this whole religious thing. And I'm going to turn 21 pretty soon, and that'll be great. And I'm done with it. No, the irony, the irony was this. Just three months earlier, in class, in organic chemistry, I came to believe there had to be a creator. Isn't that amazing? So here I'm sitting in organic chemistry, and the heme molecule goes up on the screen. And this was in 1971, so the technology was a little different. And the professor put all of the carbon-carbon bonding and the iron molecule in the middle. I can't remember as Ferris how the bonding went because I didn't stay in chemical engineering. And all these people are looking at that, and he's showing the bonding of carbon. And he turned around and he said, if one single electronic bond was different, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead. And the only reason life can exist is because carbon has the properties that it does. That moment of time, I turned around in my own mind and thought, God had to create this. There's no way that life can exist by chance. And I'd also studied thermodynamics. Entropy means we'd all be dead. The universe couldn't exist because if it was eternally old, it was already dead. I knew all that. And so that's where I came to believe in God, having left liberal church and didn't even believe in the resurrection. And three months later, I was just like Saul of Tarsus in my hatred of anybody who believed 
in Christ, especially my fiance. Saul of Tarsus knew there was a creator. See, our problem isn't a lack of evidence. It's a problem of being dead sinners. For what's known about God is evident to them because God made it evident, but they hardened their hearts. My heart was hard as a rock. And I demanded an answer. I'll let you hang on to that a moment and we'll go forward. I'm going to come back to this. But let's think about it. Why, if any here are not serving God, why is it? In my case, it was, I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want religiosity, but I knew there had to be a creator. Let's go to the next verse. 23a, 123a. But we preach Christ crucified. Why would anybody preach a crucified Jewish Messiah when Paul just said the Jews demanded something different, signs? The Gentiles sought wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Why? Because God never needed humans to approve of him. He's the creator and the judge of the entire universe. He created everything out of nothing. And he sent his son, not an ordinary son, a virgin-born second person of the Trinity who existed from all eternity as God and with God. Scripture was fulfilled. He did all the things the Bible says he did. And there's plenty of evidence. I'll show you that in a bit. That's how God does things. What if we don't like it? We're still allowed to live out our life on the earth. And someone this morning was telling me that they were witnessing to a person. said, well, I'm not too worried. It's, I don't, there was, wasn't there a country song? Well, people used to say, I don't mind if I go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. But that's really just a statement of unbelief because they don't really believe God's going to judge anybody. So what are we going to believe? We're going to tell them, no, it's all evolving into paradise. No, it's a lie. That's Satan's first lie. But is emphatic and significant. Preach Russo is a clear public announcement. Why did the pastor and his wife who were going to start a new church say, well, no, the gospel won't be preached? Because they hoped somebody would come and like them. I don't know. I assume that's why there's such a thing as a secret church. Christ crucified. Perfect passive participle means Christ having been crucified once for all. So one of the things that we all need to know about biblical Christianity and the gospel is once for all. Now there's a Greek word hapax. In scholarship, they call this one as a hapax legomena. What that means is it's only used here. In the case of Christ, his blood was shed once for all. You don't need to go to a religious service and do this. If any of you were in Sunday school, did you see that slide that Eric had up there about baptism and Roman Catholicism? And if you follow that path, you end up going round and round 
And whoops, you got off the wrong one. You have to do this. You got to check that out. Could a per- perfect setup for what I wanted to preach today right here. Don't get convoluted religion leading you somewhere that will only lead to judgment. The Bible says Christ died for sins once for all. Means never again. His blood was shed once for all. Why shed blood? Well, that's what the crucified Messiah is about. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. All the way in type back in the Old Testament. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. What does that mean? The Passover predicts the once for all work of Christ as we heard in Sunday school. So the gospel can never be derived by doing a survey of potential religious consumers. You can't do it. Fallen human beings, Jew or Gentile, are not going to tell us, if we survey them, what the gospel is about. It's not possible. So I'll just summarize some other scholars, and they're right on about this. Part of the problem today is that the cross has become jewelry, a symbol, something that doesn't mean what it meant then. The meaning is determined by the scripture and the authors of scripture, by the authors of scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we think the cross, wow, if we had a really big gold one, that'd be cool. Well, All kinds of churches have crosses, buildings, I mean. And it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And if we get our minds out of that and go back to what Paul meant, you wouldn't do it. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. When Jesus was being crucified, the Roman soldiers uh, blasphemed and mocked him. The Jewish brothers who should have listened, hated him and blasphemed. Some took money to hide it, what God did. But God used his own means to save those who believe. So what are you looking for today? Some sign? God gave one sign that he promised, the sign of a crucified Jewish Messiah. Are there any other Well, we can see that God created the world like I did in March of 1971 through the heme molecule. God still does miracles, but so the false one will come and do lying signs and wonders. There's one conclusive sign, the cross, the true cross that happened in history. Let's go to the last part of the verse. A stumbling block to the Jews and follies folly to Gentiles. I mentioned, by the way, the word folly. Now, I realize that how we use the word doesn't prove how the author in the Old Testament used it. Interesting word. Maria, where the word English word moron or moronic comes from. There's an adjective and a noun form. But here it means folly, foolishness, stupidity. What about a scandal? Literally, a trigger trap, an offense, 
an affront. So that's what we have. Just contemplate this. If you went around any place in the world and asked various people what they wanted to hear if they were going to be religious, would anybody come up with this? No, absolutely not. Unless they're already saved. So that's a good point, isn't it? Had those people said, yes, we are going to preach Christ and him crucified. The ones that came to my door when I was sick. I would have rejoiced with them. Well, I'm too sick to do much, but praise God, somebody's going to preach the cross. But no, they weren't. The scandal, the foolishness, what nobody wants to hear, God has ordained. Why? Because his power is revealed in his means, in his way, to those who believe. And if we believe the truth in a crucified Jewish Messiah, as we believe, God is working. And that's how we're saved, but we have to preach it. Let's go to verse 24. I'll finish my story as we're on, after I explain this verse. But to those who are the called. Now, I went to this translation because there's a definite article in the Greek. I think it's important. To those who are the called. Ecclesias, the word church means called out ones, but here the called are either those who've already believed or there are ones who haven't yet believed. We don't know who they are, but they're out there. The called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the called are referred to in verse 21 as the believing ones, literally in the Greek. I was telling you about, this doesn't prove anything. I could have become a Mormon on July 18th, 1971, but nobody, that would have been worthless. I was at the point where I didn't want a religious road to hell. I just wanted to get free from religion and go party. And so I had told these guys at work how I hated religion. I hated fundamentalist Christians. I hated that my fiance had gone off to some camp with these people, and I'm done with it. I'm sick of this. I've had it. So it turns out that Sunday, I went to work Sunday night at somewhere around midnight or whenever that happened back then. Diane had come back from this retreat, and we met in her dad's backyard. Sunday, July 18th, 1971. It was a crossroads. And so she'd been at this camp, and she said, well, they're talking about the Bible. I said, why are you doing this? And I probably told the story various ways. And I asked her yesterday, was it a Sunday? Yes, yeah, so it's exactly 50 years ago. Why are you doing this? What's this all about? And she said, I don't know anything. I don't know the Bible. 
But they were saying the rivers are going to turn to blood. Now, that's how you attract seekers, right? Scientists, chemical engineers, yeah, that's right. Well, she had, that's what she heard. Well, they had told about some verses in Revelation and a few other things. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I didn't deserve this. I don't even recommend that's how you try to do anything. But God apprehended me. I hadn't read the Bible. I rejected religion. Diane didn't know the Bible. And she's, I said, rivers turn to blood. That's crazy. I've been, I got a pin for having gone to Sunday school for a whole year without missing. I never heard that. So I, I don't know. So she went in and got a Bible and came out telling me the truth about it. I didn't deserve this, but this is what God did. She said, I don't know that that's in the Bible. And she literally fell open to the page where it said the rivers will turn to blood. Um, that doesn't prove anything. She could have got the Book of Mormon. That wouldn't have done me any good. But it led to me hearing the gospel. I said, oh, no. I looked at it. And then she was telling me something else she'd heard at the camp. These were gospel people, but she didn't know other than she was going to go this direction. And that happened two or three times. But the point was this. In an instant, in an instant, I knew that the gospel was real, Christ was real, the Bible was true, that God was going to bring judgment, and that if I died, I'd go to hell. I knew it. I knew it. I'd heard enough from the scriptures that even the pastor said they didn't believe. But I knew it. Exactly 50 years ago today. That doesn't prove anything, but it blows my mind when I think about it. And Eric said, share that. He, he thought it was interesting. So what happened was I was converted. I didn't know that her dad had become saved before me. So I went in because he was my hunting buddy. And he said, what happened? I said, well, this is how I saw it. I accepted Christ. It turned out that what really happened was he accepted me. But that's kind of how we think. And he said, well, so did I so many years ago. And that's what happened. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't looking for that. I was wanting, the biggest problem I had is I had to go back to work. I wonder what Saul of Tarsus thought if he had to go back to his old buddies. Well, actually, we know in Acts 9, the guy didn't even want to pray for him because they'd heard about him. So I went back, and they just all kind of looked at me, and there was only a few of us on midnight shift. We went back to work sacking feed for cows and pigs. And finally, we got a break. We used to work through the night and then take a long break before the day shift came. They said, okay, what happened? And I said the same thing, not knowing that it was just God had done this to me. I said, I accepted Christ. And these guys were utterly stunned. Utterly stunned. And one of them said, what are you studying in college for? Be a chemical engineer. Well, maybe you should be a preacher. 
Let's tell you what happened. That's not what made me a preacher. That's just what he said. Even more stunning. By the way, I'm, not, I'm telling you what happened not to say that's how we do evangelism, but to prove that God will do this supernaturally, we need to get the truth out there. And this one, I remembered a few years ago. So we got done with our lunch and the day shift's coming. There was kind of an eccentric guy that used to live near us. And he came up the stairs and he looked at me and he said, Bob, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you got the Lord all over your face. I don't know what that meant. I don't know where that guy was at. So I, well, anyhow. The point is, my faith doesn't rest in a 50-year time period. The Bible falling open to rivers. (laughs) Must be another one. Rivers turning to blood. Or what the guys at work thought. I was literally afraid to tell them that the one who was breathing out hatred and threats was now a Christian. But I did it because of God's grace. And that's how it went. And to doubt, I'm preaching. I didn't know that would happen either. But the fact is, once you look into it, it's actually what God did in history through the cross, not our experiences. If there were no resurrection, if Christ wasn't raised, if Christ didn't pay for sins, if God didn't create the world out of nothing, if we weren't all headed for judgment, if history wasn't as it is in the Bible, linear, heading toward judgment, then I'd be just a fool because I joined religion. But that's not the case because all these things are actually true. Let me cite Gordon Fee. Those played out before human eyes is the scandalous and contradictory wisdom of God. Had God consulted us for wisdom, we would have given him more a more workable plan, something that would attract the sign seeker, the lover of wisdom. As it is in God's own wisdom, we were left out of the consultation. I'm glad of that. One can, fee continues. One can scarcely conceive of a more important and more difficult passage for today's church than this one. It is difficult for the very reason it was in Corinth. Fee continues. We simply cannot abide the scandal of God's doing things his way. God's way without our help. And, and to do it by means of such weakness and folly. But we have often succeeded, says Fee, in blunting the scandal by symbol, creed, and so forth. Honestly, I think the biggest thing that is keeping people from the truth of the gospel is Christendom without Christ. Do you know what I mean? Churches, symbols, hymnals, all this is out there. And everybody thinks it's Christian. If you look at it, the, the churches have the same slogans, and I've showed you some of this on slides, that you hear in a secular world. 
the same signs, the same banners, the same message. It's all the same thing. So what good is a church if it has the same message as the world? That doesn't do any good. The pastors that trained me before I left the church said, well, there's no miracles. There's no resurrection from the dead. The things in the Bible never really happened. So why are they there? There are stories to make us learn to be better people. I decided I'll work on that on my own. I was out. God, it's God's grace that anyone sees Christ crucified as power and wisdom. That's the truth. Today, I announce to you that Jesus Christ is exactly who the Bible says he is. The creator, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the one who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who appeared to many witnesses, the one who bodily ascended to heaven, the one who promised that he would come again in the same manner, and that there will be judgment. I knew that in an instant. That if I didn't repent, I would be judged, and I would end up in hell. I knew that. I don't deserve it. Have I lived that out perfectly? Hardly. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That doesn't justify anybody's failures, much less mine. But in the end, are we trusting Christ or are we trusting ourselves? Who are we trusting? Let's look at a couple applications, and then we'll talk about this a little more. God commands the church to preach the truth of the gospel to all people. The surveys are worthless. Worthless. You can survey people who are already born of God about what, how they want to, within Christian liberty, have services, but you don't survey the lost to find out the message for the church. Why don't people believe the Bible if they're Christian where it says, in Adam, all die? You were dead. What does it say? You were dead, Ephesians 2. How did the dead come alive? Try harder? Do more? No, God raises dead sinners. The called will respond to the gospel by God's grace. Let's look at the universal call in Luke 24, 46, and 47. Thus it is written that the Christ, which is the Messiah as described in the Bible, should suffer. This is Jesus and the, after his resurrection. And on the third day, he rise from the dead. That repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So on the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to some disciples and told them this. Then Acts 1.8 restates this. By the way, on May 23rd, I covered the verses up here. But here's what it says in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You should be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the scope of the gospel to be preached is starts in Jerusalem, where these things happen, and there were eyewitnesses. It goes out to Judea. By the way, it starts where Jesus was rejected and continues, and rejection was everywhere, but God has those who are the called. So it starts at Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria. You can read in the Gospels what happened in these places, even to the remotest part of the earth. So the scope of the universal call, meaning the proclamation of the gospel to repent and believe, is to go to all people, Jews and Gentiles. What's the content? A crucified Jewish Messiah. What's the call? Repent and believe the gospel. So what if we found out that people don't like repentance? Get that out of there. People don't think they have sins. Okay, we'll not talk about forgiveness. People don't like to hear about judgment. Okay, there's no future judgment. What have we got left of the gospel when we consult the wisdom of man? Nothing but hopeless religion. But if there are these, the called, which Eric was talking about, as far as why baptism, infant baptism doesn't save people, how do we know who they are? We don't until God saves them. But we have our duty, which is to preach the gospel. Look at Acts 10, 39 through 41. We, this was, by the way, Peter preaching in the uh, household of Cornelius. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree but God raised him up on the third day. It caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, the witnesses God had already chosen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Physical resurrection, predicted resurrection, witnesses to facts, not myths, not stories, facts, historical, observable facts. No one ever said there was a dead body in that tomb. They lied about it, they covered it up, but the facts are the facts. Let's go on. He commanded us to preach to the people, Peter said, and to warn them that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. That's the truth. History is heading toward judgment. How did I know that was true in an instant on July 18th, 1971. By the way, if you don't have a date, that doesn't matter. What matters is you believe. But how did I know that was true? Well, I heard it in church, in the liturgy. I didn't know who the quick was, but I knew they were going to be judged. Remember that thing you say? It's coming to judge the quick. And I didn't know who the quick was. 
Turns out it's live people. But uh, at the moment, I just wanted to get out of church so I could head to the golf course. Pointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Yeah, the quick are the living. About him, all of the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So why would anyone believe in him when he's a scandal of the Jews, he's folly to the Gentiles, and nobody wants to hear about it? Why would anybody believe? Because God raises dead sinners and gives them life. He's ordained a means. He's told us what to preach. He's provided the evidence in history. And whether we believe we need it or not, every single human being needs forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins is once for all through the blood of Jesus. As was so graphically illustrated in every Sunday school class, you can go around and around and around and you try this and you go to the saints and these meritorious works and I was baptized and whoops, I goofed, I'm back down here. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Why get on that treadmill? You don't need to be religious if your sins are never going to be forgiven anyhow. Or you can believe in Jesus Christ who cleanses sins, raises the dead, spiritually dead to life, and promises a future resurrection. In Sunday school, we talked about the Holy Spirit falling on people as promised at Pentecost. That's what happened to me. Acts 10, 44, 45, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on, upon all those who were listening to the message. Supernatural event. And all the circumcised, meaning Jewish believers, who came with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. We talked about that in Sunday school. It's predicted in the Old Testament, predicted in Isaiah 42, predicted in Isaiah and numerous numerous passages. I'll talk more about it next week. But they didn't see it. They didn't understand. They had scales on their eyes. But look at that. God saved Gentiles. God saves a pious Pharisee who's, who's railing against Jewish believers, Saul of Tarsus, and he saves Cornelius, and then he goes on and saves other Gentiles, and it ultimately goes to Rome, the center of the empire, and where it reaches ultimately to the ends of the earth. That's what he predicted. Luke 24, Acts 1, Old Testament, and so forth. In Acts 10, 34, it says God is, is not one to show partiality. What do, we, what do we learn from that? God doesn't show partiality. And some people say, well, yes, he does, obviously. If anybody's the called, it must be partiality. No, it's, this is supernatural. This isn't God saying, I think somebody has a lot to offer me. The church poorly defined needs an organist, so I'm going to save an organist. It's not how it works. Oh, we need somebody 
They can do this or that. No, God doesn't need anybody. But he uses those who he calls and equips and makes part of the, bo- part of the body. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go to verse, chapter 13 where Paul and Barnabas are replying. Acts 13, 47 and 48. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've appointed you to be a light for the Gentiles. There's what I said about the Old Testament. To bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and praise the word of the Lord. All who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now this appointment wasn't based on God needed more Dutch people or uh, South American people. or It doesn't matter. It's, we don't know who the called are until we preach Christ. And when they respond, whoever they are, they're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're one. I couldn't believe it. If somebody would have said to me, Bob, when you're railing on Thursday night, two weeks from now, you're going to be sitting in a little fundamentalist church saying, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> and everybody in that church is not going to look one bit like you. They're old, you're young, they're religious, you're a mess. But I wasn't a mess anymore, and they accepted me. So... God does things his own way. I'm not saying that's the song we have to sing, but it's true. If we faithfully preach the gospel without compromise, God, this is my statement, God will use it, that it is the universal call, to save those who hear the call in their heart. So our job is to preach the gospel clearly, forthrightly, without compromise. God will use his means to save those that he will save. One more slide. Let me mention something before I finish this slide. This afternoon, there's a service for a, a dear brother, as mentioned earlier, Ed Levine, who came and... Um, I don't deserve this either. But here's something that I want to say. When I was in, I did, Ed was going through so much and so many dear people went to help him. And God bless every one of you who did. But when he came into Sunday school, I didn't think I'd ever see him with a walker. He had the walker. He was beaming. With joy. We sing a song, Joy Unspeakable, Full of Glory. I'm getting ahead of myself. I got to speak this afternoon too, but it was amazing. The joy of the Lord. Remember that guy who saw me when I was angry and bitter and I was going to beat up some skinny little preacher. Yes, there was somebody skinnier and smaller than me. It was that preacher. Uh, but nevertheless, I come in and somebody says, they didn't even dare ask me what happened. See, Ed, Wow. Wow, I think if I'd had a stroke and I couldn't get around and I was unable to do the things I want to do, we'll talk about that. Where did all that joy come from? It comes from having your sins forgiven, 
forgiven, having eternal hope. God called Ed Levine to himself. Acts 2.39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. There is the church. And we don't know who they are. Their idea was it probably is not going to be Gentiles. It was. It probably is not going to be Samaritans. It was. Probably not going to be philosophers in Athens. Very few, but some. Probably not going to be Corinthians or Philippians or Galatians or Romans. Certainly not Americans. They did, of course, there was no America. Whoever God calls for himself, who's that going to be? We only find out if we preach it. So today, I'm telling you that the, all the evidence points to the truth. The reason I wouldn't believe it was because I was a dead, angry, bitter, self-centered sinner. And I wanted no religion. I wanted nothing but to be left alone and go be a chemical engineer. Nothing wrong with that. Pursue my dreams. Get a membership in a private country club. Turn 21 so I don't have to sneak around to get booze from somebody who is 21. And all these dreams, they all were dashed, but my sins are forgiven. And uh, I thank God for that. I thank God for that. Today, I pray that God would apprehend more people like he did me. So today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what we're commanded to preach. Salvation is given through no other name. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to do things the way You've revealed in the scripture that 50 years ago today, you saved me, an unworthy sinner who hated you, hated Christians, hated the truth. Thank you, Lord, that you were merciful. And we don't know who you're going to save, but we do pray that you would continue to send your gospel to the ends of the earth so those who are the called would hear and believe. And Lord, we thank you for all the things you've done, including saving Ed Levine, who came because he knew the gospel was true and you revealed it to him. We pray as we go on today, and there's a memorial service this afternoon that you'd be with us all. And Lord, thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.